Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. We're in Las Vegas, Nevada this week, and we're going to bring you some great information about the State of the Union in commercial financing. Where are the challenges? Where are the opportunities? You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio network. Are you excited about real estate investing but not sure where to get started? Learn the secrets of building wealth through real estate in the comfort of your own home. In the Real Equity Home Study Course, professional investor Robert Helms and his team of experts show you why real estate outperforms other investments. Stop dreaming about investing in real estate and start doing something about it. Order the Real Equity Home Study Course today at realestateguysradio.com and click on Resources. RealEstateGuysRadio.com. The Real Estate Guys podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks, with more than seventy-five thousand downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to AudiblePodcast.com forward slash Real Estate Guys. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program, broadcasting from one of our favorite cities, Las Vegas, Nevada, this week. Let's meet our co-host and financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. Always fun to come to this town. It is very fun to come to this town. This town is vibrant as can be. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. People think Las Vegas is over. It's never been over. It's one of the most resilient markets on planet Earth. Certainly some trouble in the last couple of years, but that spells opportunity. We're here at uh, the Pitbull Conference, which has been uh, an amazing event. We'll bring you more about that. Uh, when we get to interview the uh, founder and chief pitbull, uh, Leonard Rosen, in, uh, in a few weeks. But today what we're going to talk about is where the commercial lending market is. If you're trying to get a loan on something other than a house or duplex or fourplex, you're looking at larger residential properties, you're looking at office or industrial or warehouse or retail. It's a very interesting market. It's had a lot of change, much like many of the financial markets have. Yeah, I think that the, the residential markets caught everybody off guard. When the uh, mortgage-backed security markets collapsed, it really caught the entire market marketplace off guard and it really hit hard in residential right away. There was all kinds of consumption going on with people repositioning equity, refinancing equity, consuming equity, buying houses, buying second houses and all of that. Everybody's been talking about waiting for the second shoe to drop with this whole concept of commercial and what's going on with commercial. But the difference is the commercial markets have had lots of time to see it coming. And there's been people making adjustments. There have been uh, a lot of opportunities to learn from what happened in the residential mortgage-backed securities business. And, of course, commercial's just a different animal. I mean, when we talk about the term commercial, really what we're talking about is anything that isn't a residential one to four. Right. So even an apartment building, multi-unit, that would be considered commercial. Obviously, things like office buildings and shopping centers and strip malls and storage facilities and all the different types of things. That's all the world of commercial. And it's out of the purview of Fannie and Freddie for the most part, with the exception of multifamily residential. So it's a very different animal, a very different world, and yet it is really where the money comes from that builds the hotels and the businesses and the shopping malls and a lot of the infrastructure you need to support growth of an economy. Now, with the change in the market, it, it hasn't changed the fundamental principle too much behind uh, commercial lending, and, and that's a distinction we want to point out at the beginning. When you qualify for a loan to purchase a home that you're going to live in, the lender is going to look at your income and your credit history and the stability of your job and those things. 
Same is true, really, when you have a duplex, triplex, fourplex. Yeah, if you've got some rent, great, but they're really looking at the borrower. Once you get in the commercial realm, it is much more about the property than the borrower. You're certainly going to have to have credit. You're certainly going to have to have uh, some reserves. But the qualification is based on the property. In today's world, uh, much of that is surrounding loan-to-value. What is the value of the asset? The asset's gone down. We're only going to loan you a small portion of today's value. And arriving at today's value is really the topic of a whole other show. But the commercial world has changed a ton in that just like residential, a lot of mortgage uh, companies, a lot of commercial uh, lenders out of the business didn't make the turn, uh, had too many uh, ugly loans, uh, but there still are some folks in the business. And so today we're going to talk about what the state of the union is of, of commercial, and we've got an amazing guest for you. He's got a niche within commercial, which really is private money or hard money. So we also want to make sure that everyone's on the same page. And, uh, you know, I always assume well, everyone knows what hard money means, but we were in some conversations this week. Well, that's not exactly true. So when we say hard money, Russ, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking essentially private money. We're talking about individual investors as opposed to banks. We're talking about pools of individual investors as opposed to institutions. And so that's really what the concept of hard money is. And the beautiful thing about hard money is the flexibility that's within it. You know, most of the asset-based lenders, people who in, uh, will uh, loan to you based on the equity you have in the property, and, you know, you still have to have a plan to pay them off, but a lot of times that plan can include an exit strategy from the property as opposed to most lenders are primarily concerned with income. They're going to underwrite it based on the income the asset produces, which is, you know, in a rental property or a hotel or a business or whatever. They're looking at the income. But when you're trying to do a construction project or you're trying to do a development project or you're trying to even do a rehab or something that's a little bit out of the box, they're still willing to do it. But you're going to have to have a lot of your own skin in the game. You're going to have to have a strong balance sheet. You know, in the old days, they were so anxious to lend, they would forego things like personal guarantees. Today, you know, there's still a lot more of that. And I think a lot of people that had to sign some of those wouldn't do that if they had to do it again. It's definitely a changing landscape. And we just want to continue to keep coming back to this aspect of how the capital is moving from the people who want to make the investments. There's people out there who want to buy the debt. I mean, that's as investors, that's what they do. They invest in debt. And it's got to be backed up by streams of income. It's got to be backed up by assets. And it's got to be backed up by credible borrowers. And if everybody's perfect, then you get low interest rates and you get you know cream of the crop and everybody's fighting over that little niche. But when you get outside of being perfect, that's where the opportunity is for higher yields and a lot of creativity. And so that's, that's really, we think that there's a huge opportunity right now for private money to come to the rescue of the marketplace because uh, banks just are not, they're, they're too busy fighting for their lives right now. They're too busy watching asset values drop, which is really affecting their capital reserve ratios, and they're under a lot of scrutiny and pressure with the FDIC. And a lot of emphasis is not on commercial, but still on resurrecting the residential market. That creates a huge gap for the private money people, private investors to come in and make money available to the commercial markets. Uh, and we're going to talk a lot about that today. It's very exciting. So this moniker of hard money also tends to, on the street level, mean that you're going to pay more for it. And there's going to be more points, more fees. But the flexibility, I think, that you mentioned is key. It is not impossible. In fact, it's quite probable that you can get the right uh, property financed with hard money inside of 10 days sometimes 72 hours. 
they are nimble, they are experienced, and they have a very different parameter uh, when it comes to what is in their favorite sweet spot than uh, the conventional lender does. And it's always been a great opportunity. The gentleman you're about to meet has been in the hard money lending business for more than 30 years. And not only that, but he's got another uh, unique hat that he wears that you're going to learn about on the show, which gives him some perspective that we're super excited about. So when we come back, uh, you're going to meet our guest and you're going to hear more about the state of the commercial lending and hard lending finance arena. Stay with us. Live from Las Vegas, Nevada, we're the Real Estate Guys. Live nationwide, you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of The Real Estate Guys, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. You know, one book you might consider is Leading at a Higher Level by Ken Blanchard. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash real estate guys. That's audiblepodcast.com forward slash real estate guys. Hi, this is Bob Helms. They call me the godfather of real estate, mostly because I've been investing longer than the average Joe, since 1957 to be exact. Back when I started out, investing was pretty simple. Even so, I made more than my fair share of mistakes. And I can't imagine getting into this game today without some help. That's why I'm inviting you to check out the Real Estate Guys Investor Mentoring Club. There are three locations to choose from. Silicon Valley, Los Angeles, and Dallas, Texas. To find out when and where, just send an email to guys at realestateguysradio.com or use the feedback page on the website at realestateguysradio.com. Tell them the Godfather sent you. Hello, this is Robert Kiyosaki. I'm the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And if you're serious about learning how to invest in real estate, listen to the real estate guys. They really know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Heard every weekend on this fine radio station all the time at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for tuning in. We've got a great show for you. This is a great topic. The money markets are uh, constipated to say the least and the private capital is uh, rising up. Our guest today has been in the hard money lending business for more than 30 years, so very seasoned in that. Uh, he's also licensed to practice law in two states. Please welcome to the Real Estate Guys, Mr. George Blackburn. How are you, George? Um, great. Thank you, Bob. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Uh, you have, boy, been in the hard money business a long time. How did you get started in hard money over 30 years ago? When I graduated from college, um, the banks weren't hiring, so I went to work for an existing home loan broker called Union Home Loans. And at the time, that was a huge business, and they were making uh, really, really good money. And, um, and then eventually spun off and formed my own company, uh, Blackburn & Sons. So when Blackburn & Sons started, it was a, a very different climate than we have now. Tell us about what it was like and the kinds of loans you did and how you pooled investors and those things. Sure. Back in the day, as they say, there were very few lenders making commercial loans. The banks um, certainly were not anxious to make commercial loans. In fact, the, the second mortgages on houses were 30 years ago were just becoming popular. Therefore, we found that no one was making first mortgages 
on commercial property that were not quite bankable. There was no such thing as a subprime industry. So we, instead of going into the business of making second mortgages on homes, we made first mortgages on commercial property and uh, did very well for many years. So what was the target type of commercial property, maybe the range of properties you would loan on? Well, um, historically, it would be the small owner-user properties were really popular with our investors. You know, a dentist owns a little dental office, a chiropractor owns his little building, uh, that sort of deal. Uh, Since then, the SBA has come in and um, just totally dominated the owner-occupied market, so we've got had to go, move on to rental properties. But back in the day, uh, that was a terrific little niche to be in. Now, 30 years of being in this business is a long uh, time to cover in just a few minutes, but uh, you've certainly seen the market shift and change. How has you, what you guys do in private capital, if you will, changed over the years? Well, it used to be in the old days that we had to sell one loan to one investor. And that was tough because if... If you think about it, if you were making a $25,000 second mortgage on somebody's house, that was small enough to sell to a single investor. But when we started making first mortgages and they were $250,000, $300,000 trying to sell that to a single investor, that was really, really tough. Fortunately, California has very progressive laws that are, are made pretty amazing for a, you know, a, a state government to be have very liberal securities rules. But they allowed real estate brokers to fractionalize mortgage uh, loans into up to 10 pieces. So if I was doing a $300,000 deal, I could get just 10 investors with $30,000 each, which was a lot easier to do. Um, and then, then as loan sizes got larger and larger, we uh, petitioned the uh, California State Department of Corporations for permission to start adding more than 10 investors. And there is a procedure now that uh, lenders like, uh, like us can do uh, to fractionalize a loan of that size into lots of little pieces. So that, that let's suppose you're saving for retirement. You're just kind of a working stiff, but you got, you have a little, little money in your IRA and you want to invest it where you can come in and put in 10 or $15,000 into, let's say a million dollar deal and still get a very reasonable return. Well, you know, this idea of fractionalizing a loan is not a new idea, but I'm certain many of our listeners don't quite understand how it works. But even today, this is a good vehicle for people to get together and be able to fund these kinds of private loans. Oh, absolutely. One of the nice things about uh, fractionalized loans is that the investor gets to choose what deal that he's investing in. So oftentimes they will only choose properties that are located fairly close to their home that they can drive out and touch and feel. They can know the local market and they, they say, okay, you've sent me 20 loans this year, but I'm investing in this one because, you know, my sister doesn't live too far away. You know, I've been by this property many times, you know, it's always occupied. Uh, That's why I want to do this particular deal. Well, and this is one of the distinctions of private capital. A lot of what we would call hard money lenders tend to be in, in a small geographic area, an area they're very familiar with, with an asset class they're familiar with, unlike uh, the larger national lenders that back when they were lending, uh, who, who would look at a, a portfolio almost anywhere. Yeah, one of the the problems of, of nationwide lenders is that if you, if you make relatively small loans and you're a national lender, it's economically impossible to go out and touch the property. And if you do not go out and touch the property, wow, you're really opening yourself up to some problems. Well, that's always been the case, and we've just seen the results of that in the the last couple of years. Let's talk about where we are today. There's certainly uh, a need for private capital to step up, and there's always been a a great segment of the real estate financing industry that's been the loan that didn't fit in the box, something where you need to understand the property a little differently, know the area, and that's 
that's where private capital has stepped up. With what's happened the last couple of years uh, in the finance markets, where do you see the role of private capital today? It's really interesting. I describe uh, 2011 as the year of the hard money lender. We are going to make outrageous profits as an industry. Yep. Um, I'm not talking about my own firm or anything like that, but I'm just saying as an industry, we're going to, and this is a very good thing. It's a healing thing. It's the way capitalism works. You have the brave guys who go out, you know, the pioneers are the guys who come back with arrows in their yeah. tushes, right? So um, the hard money lenders are venturing out. They're extending their little necks out of their shells and they're making the commercial loans that the banks are too frightened to invest. Now, if things work out as hopefully uh, we think it will, those investors do very, very well and they earn returns of 12 and 13% on these hard money loans. What's going to happen is pretty soon the banks are going to be looking over going, huh, 12 to 13%, huh? I want a little bit of that action. So maybe they come in at 10 or 11% until more banks come in and then they drive the rates down from 10 or 11, maybe down to eight or nine. And then eventually competition will restore uh, balance to the, to the real estate industry. But if capitalism is to work, someone needs to make outrageous profits and it's that out those outrageous profits that will breed the competition that will drive rates down. So this is healthy. This is a healing thing. And this is sort of our year. Well, when you look at uh, what's happened in the last few years, people have been hesitant. These private investors that a company like yours might have on board have been uh, as scared and, and, and concerned and, and uncertain as everybody else. Do you think that there is now more competition in, in this space, this private capital, or are people still shying away from it? Well, from the private investor's point of view, I can tell you that investors that were invested in hard money deals at the time the Great Recession hit, got slapped around pretty badly. Um, yeah. If you were in a first mortgage and your first mortgage was 65% loan to value and then commercial real estate fell by 40%, yeah. you know, you're already underwater and, um, you know, you've been forced to either modify your loan or, you know, if you foreclose, you're going to end up probably taking a haircut. So a lot of investors are a little bit gun shy. On the other hand, there was a time during the RTC crisis or the savings to loan crisis where the hard money lenders that went out and made the hard money loans to buy up all the, the foreclosures, all, yep. the, all the properties the RTC was dumping. And I, I think, what was that, the early 90s? I think this has all happened, uh, yeah. the SNL crisis. So those guys made a lot of money. Um, uh, and actually, the guys that really made a lot of money, the guys who bought the RTC properties and then paid us off a year and a half, two years later for twice what they paid for the property. Right, which they could when, when you look at in, in hindsight. And I think people today who have been through that, and that's not that many folks, right, saw that and think maybe, hey, this is now it's different reasons, it's a different set of facts this time around, but still real estate on, is on sale in so many ways. I think that the private lender has always served a, a, a great purpose. And one of the things that private lending has been outstanding at is the flexibility that you need. You know, you talked about modifying the loans. It isn't uncommon for someone who has a hard money loan to be able to say, okay, so uh, let's restructure the loan. I'd like to pay it back sooner, or I'd like to amortize it faster, or uh, there's just more flexibility than traditional lenders have had. In the last couple of years, you know, the, the folks holding uh, this residential paper and commercial paper have had to uh, modify, but there's always been a certain flexibility around private capital. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, hard money lenders don't do a huge volume of deal. A typical hard money lender will close maybe 30 or 40 loans uh, a year, and he can afford to expend some brain effort on particular deals. Sometimes uh, banks use the term no-brainers. 
Yeah. And the banks with their great rates get to do the no-brainers. But hard money lenders um, have to do the, the, I guess, the opposite of a no-brainer is a brainer. Okay, <laughs> so they do the brainer deals and... Um, they can afford to investigate a little further and and see whether or not there really is a, a good explanation for the guy's delinquencies, et cetera, and still end up doing a very, very good loan. I think hard money lenders are performing an invaluable function right now because we're, uh, we're refinancing balloon payments that are saving the bacon of, of a lot of real estate investors. Oh, yeah. This is the time for, for sure. Now, you know, we saw uh, lots of banks get closed in the last couple of years. Uh, what's your feeling about uh, the landscape of hard money lenders? Have they, have they risen up now, or is, are the new people coming on board? Well, I have a, a dear friend who has tracked the servicing portfolios of all the hard money lenders that have failed during this crisis, yep. and I think he's up to $6 billion worth of, uh, that is the size of the portfolios of the various shops that have closed down. So a lot of the very old hard money mortgage companies got, you know, swept the, away. Uh, like yeah, swept yeah. away. That's a very good term. But- from the ground, uh, you see these green shoots popping out, and and there are all these new hard money mortgage companies forming all throughout the country, and I think they need to be allowed to go ahead and earn some good dough so that everybody will start to covet their profits, and that competition that I talked about earlier will begin. Well, and you have a unique insight into uh, those uh, some of those lenders. If we come back, we're going to explain why that is, because uh, George wears a couple of hats. Not only has he had Blackburn and Sons for more than uh, 30 years doing hard money, but uh, he wears another interesting hat. we come back, we'll learn about that. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. All aboard. It's your last call to set sail with the Real Estate Guys on the ninth annual Investor Summit at Sea. More than just a cruise, it's an educational cornucopia where you learn ideas and strategies and forge relationships that will propel your real estate investing. During our days at sea, you'll attend seminars, workshops, group discussions, and roundtables about real estate. On our days in port, you'll have a blast taking in the sights, shopping, and working on your tan. Aboard ship, you'll enjoy first-class dining, awesome entertainment, 24-hour room service, and plenty of fun. Unwind in the piano bar, check out the casino action, or stay in touch at the Internet Cafe. And bring the kids. They'll love the organized activities for ages 2 to 17, while you hang out with the real estate guys and an amazing faculty for a week you'll never forget. We depart from Port Lauderdale April 4th for St. Martin, St. Lucia, and St. Kitts Nevis, returning April 12th. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click the tab that says Summit to learn more. This event is almost sold out, so don't delay. That's realestateguysradio.com and click Summit or call 888-489-7723, extension 2, to talk with our cruise specialist, Mary Lynn. She'll answer all your questions and get you one of the last spots. That's 888-489-7723, extension 2. Don't miss the boat. This is Wayne Palmer, co-author of The Real Book of Real Estate. You are listening to The Real Estate Guys Radio Show. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys Radio Program, heard every weekend right here on this radio station all the time at realestateguysradio.com. 
If you'd like to uh, subscribe to our podcast, we'd love to have you do that on iTunes as well. And uh, halfway through the show, we're going to play real estate trivia. Every week we ask a trivia question that has something to do uh, with real estate. And after nearly 14 years on the air, uh, we're digging deep. But we've got a great trivia question uh, this week. So as soon as you hear the question and think you know the answer, send us an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com. The first person with the right answer is going to win an autographed copy of Equity Happens, Building Lifelong Wealth with Real Estate, our book on real estate investing. Then we take all the correct guesses for the week, have a drawing for a second book. That way, if you do subscribe to the podcast and listen that way or listen on our website or one of a bunch of other ways to listen to our show, you still have a chance to win as long as you get your answer to us before next week's show. So as soon as you think you know the answer, trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your name and mailing address so that we know where to send the book if you're the winner. Last week on the show, we asked, where did the first circus in the U.S. take place? And lots of fun guesses for this. The answer, Newport, Rhode Island. And that was all the way back in 1774. Now, we had attorney Mauricio Ruled on the program uh, last uh, week when we asked that question. And then off mic, he told us that, you know, this is funny, guys, but I've actually been to a circus in Newport, Rhode Island. So uh, we, we couldn't share that on the air at the time for obvious reasons. But now that you know, now that the cat is out of the bag, there you go. Here's our trivia question for this week. Which U.S. city is the home of the Peachoid? The Peachoid. Yeah, here's what that is. That is the huge water storage tank that's in the shape of a peach. You've probably seen postcards. You've probably heard about it. It was built in 1981, and it holds like a million gallons of water. It's a giant peach water tank called the Peachoid. Very famous landmark uh, throughout the United States, or maybe not that famous. But if you know, it could be worth an autographed copy of Equity Happens, building lifelong wealth with uh, real estate. Just send us your best guess to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. That's today's real estate trivia question. So our guest today is George Blackburn. We're talking about uh, private capital, hard money lending. As uh, you've learned, George has been in this business for 30-plus uh, years now. But a few years ago, uh, I think you uh, had a, a pretty interesting epiphany, saw an opportunity. One of the interesting things about hard money is it's so fractured in terms of the participation. These are a bunch of maverick in investors, sometimes individual guys just loaning their own money, sometimes smaller shops, as you said. And uh, you now have, uh, let's put your other hat on for a minute and talk about sea loans. This is a pretty interesting idea. Uh, tell us how you came about it and how it got started and what what sea loans does. I think your description of, of the of the marketplace is absolutely right. It's extremely fractured with a lot of, I mean, hundreds of small players, each with their own little foibles and preferences and areas. And, you know, we'll do this kind of property, but not that kind of property. And we'll, you know, uh, go in this county, but not that county. Um, We'll only make loans from this size to this side unless the sun is shining from the west and right. then we, and everything. It was impossible to keep track. Yep. So what I did is I started to write, uh, develop a database, a, a searchable a program to help me keep track of all these various uh, lenders out there. I then went to a trade show and the internet was just starting to become um, hot. And these guys were selling little servers that would allow me to put this data bank actually on the internet. And that was the, the start of Cloans.com. Uh, That's C is in commercial dash loans with an S.com. And what it is, it's a portal. It's a way for a borrower to go in and fill out one short little mini app. And that one mini app works for all 750 of the lenders that participate on there. And then you can kind of send that application out to all of them 
and see which ones really, really like it. Now, the way it actually works is you'll go on there and you'll tell the computer you want a $600,000 first mortgage on a self-storage facility in Upper Michigan. Okay. And then what will happen is the data bank will, will do these, has these filters, and it'll screen out all the lenders who will not do the deal, right. leaving 30 or 40 that might do the deal. You put a check mark next to six and hit submit, and within minutes, the lenders are calling you with offers on your deals. It's a really nice, elegant little little system. And uh, we've been up now for 14 years. We've closed over 1,000 commercial loans wow. and uh, totaling over a billion dollars. And now it's not just individual investors and uh, owners of property. It also is a tool that the brokerage community uses a lot. Sure. Um, about 50% of our users are borrowers. About 50% of our users are some type of broker, either a real estate broker or a mortgage broker. And it works e equally well for either one of them. One of the nice things that I haven't mentioned is the fact that C-Loans is free. We're paid a small fee by our lenders if, our, if a deal closes. So that's what that's where the money comes to generate the site. But there's no charge to, to enter the deal into C-Loans and to submit it. Well, it makes sense. If I'm a hard money lender, I'm looking for deals. And if this is a way that uh, I can screen some deals that come to me that are in my wheelhouse, awesome. Happy to pay a, a fee out to do it. A great, It's a great service. But it also does an interesting thing. It puts you in a position where you're now able to see a much bigger picture as a hard money lender than just the deals that, that your company does. So in the last couple of years, kind of walk us through what you've seen happening in the commercial loan world, the kind of loan requests that get submitted to see loans and, and really what happens to those loans. In the years 2004, 2005, 2006, first half of 2007, the market was going gangbusters. Yeah. There were more lenders offering commercial loans than at any time in the 30 years that I've been in the business. I mean, it, in fact, it would be difficult to find a lender who was not willing to make a commercial loan during those years. When the secondary markets, though, collapsed, when the CMBS market just literally got nuked off the face of the earth, yeah. all of a sudden that reversed. And um, hundreds and hundreds of, of of lenders dropped off of C loans simply because they were no longer making commercial loans. And the only lenders that's, that really remain, that there's certainly a handful of banks across the nation that are still actively looking for commercial loans, and many of those are on C loans. Yep. And we're still closing some loans with banks. But whereas in the past, 70% of the deals that were closing were with banks, now it's sort of the opposite now way. Now 70% of the commercial loans being closed are with private money, much more expensive uh, uh, for, the, for the borrowers, but nevertheless, they got the loan and they saved their property, so that was good. But not nearly as many banks lending on commercial property. And part of the problem there is that that affects valuations. If you cannot finance the purchase of a, an investment property, because no one wants to do the loan, all of a sudden what you're going to be willing to pay for that commercial property is going to decline. That's not terribly good for commercial property values. Right. You know, it's interesting because the commercial world has always been very different in terms of underwriting and the players and so forth than residential. And a lot of folks listen to our show are uh, residential investors and departments and so forth, but also small commercial uh, investors. Uh, today, uh, there's a lot of talk about, you know, commercial being the next shoe to drop and there's so much trouble in the uh, commercial uh, sector. Uh, probably more than ever, uh, private money, hard money is, uh, is the answer to a lot of that. I think that's true, and, and part of this is coming from the uh, Federal Reserve uh, and the FDIC. I read a fascinating statistic. They said 
that of the 100 banks that had the highest percentage of commercial real estate loans in their portfolios, 42 of the 100 have already been closed by the FDIC. Wow. So there is a clear message being sent by the feds. We want you to reduce the size of your commercial real estate loan portfolios and get those troubled loans off the books. So what that means for us hard money lenders is that many times we're able to go and let's suppose a guy has a million dollar building. He had a $750,000 loan on that million dollar building. The balloon payment comes due and now that building is maybe only worth 700000 let's say, and yeah. now a $450,000 loan is as large of a loan as he can get. What we're finding is that our borrowers are able to take our term sheets, basically our, our conditional commitment letters, to the banks and say, look, at this is the biggest loan as I can get. And, and the banks are taking it. They're taking it. They're taking the discounted payoff just to get the loans off the books. Yeah, interesting development, and it makes sense. You know, you mentioned earlier that uh, a guideline that a, a hard money lender looks at, of course, is a lower loan to value. And we, there were a lot of loans that were probably at that 60 to 65% uh, range. What do you see today? Values are down. So property values are down across the board, and yet I would imagine hard money lenders have always been fairly conservative in their LTVs. Is it still there, or is it a lower LTV? What do you see today? Well, it depends on the type of transaction, whether it's a purchase transaction or a refinance transaction. On a purchase, if you have a buyer buying an REO, a real estate owned, in other words, a foreclosed property, you're pretty much establishing what price it will take for that property to clear the market. So if it's a purchase, uh, you know, a hard money lender is going to be a lot more confident, you know, and we might go as high as 60% loan to value on the purchase of an REO only because the, the, the value of the property has clearly been established, you know, in the marketplace. Now you compare that to, let's say a refinance where you're estimating the value based on, on the, the estimate of an appraiser, and appraisers have, you know, are, are the bane of our existence. So I think <laughs> some of those appraisers take hallucinogens or something. We have a lot less confidence in appraisals, and maybe we only go 50% loan-to-value or 45% loan-to-value if the value of the property is based on an appraisal. So, I mean, of course, we'll have the property appraised as a purchase, but purchases give you that confidence of knowing you finally drop the price to a level that will finally clear the market. Now, your practice uh, for uh, Blackburn and Sons is in Sacramento, California. How big of a radius do you guys personally look at for hard money loans? We will actually lend pretty much nationwide. The only thing is, is that the interest rate outside of California is typically 2% higher because our, our investors definitely prefer California. But if the rate is high enough, you know, now we're just negotiating our price. So. There is an interest rate that will entice us to make a loan out of state. It's just going to be a lot more expensive. And then what types of properties are typically what you guys look for? Well, it used to be that when the markets were really hot and heavy uh, during 2004 through uh, 2007, that we were sort of forced into smaller and smaller niches. Um, you know, we did a lot of loans on funeral homes. Wow. Uh, we did loans on, uh, you know, old folks' homes, you know, et cetera. Nowadays, 
we're being asked to dance by some of the prettiest girls in the at the ball. And so you were getting to do multifamily and, you know, prime office buildings. And you'd be surprised how beautiful the deals are that hard money lenders are getting uh, a chance to finance. Hard money has always been one of the best kept secrets in, in real estate. Uh, investors often think, well, that's too much to pay. But I, we always say compared to what? And really, you, if as a lender, you're taking more risk. You get paid better for that. And that that's what you really need about this industry is that there are the niches and there are the market that will tell you what it will bear. And and there's just such a great opportunity today. I think uh, we're going to probably see um, hard money be a big answer to the healing process that we need. Once again, this is the year of the hard money lender. All right, George, we sure appreciate your time today. If uh, you're interested in uh, the world, fascinating world of, of hard money, certainly check out uh, cloans.com. Again, that's c-loans with an s.com. And uh, whether you're a broker or a borrower, if you're not familiar with this resource, it's a, it's a pretty amazing site. And uh, we sure appreciate your time today, George. Thank you, Robert. All right. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys Radio Network. More when we come back. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. If you love real estate and have always wanted to own your own business, listen up. The Real Estate Guys and their panel of experts want to teach you how to go full-time fast in the real estate syndication business. These next few years may go down in history as one of the best times ever to acquire investment real estate. There are deals everywhere if you know where to look and how to assemble the resources. The Secrets of Successful Syndication Seminar will show you how to make big money doing big deals from a team of experts that have syndicated projects totaling more than $1 billion. Don't wait for someone to give you a raise or create a job for you. Attend the secrets of successful syndication and learn how to build a team, raise capital, find deals, and make full-time money in six months or less. Join the Real Estate Guys and Rich Dad Advisors Ken McElroy and Wayne Palmer on April 3rd in Fort Lauderdale. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. All the big players use syndication as a way to diversify risk, optimize profits, and earn big money. You can too. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Hi, I'm Steve Forbes. You're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Listen up. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Thanks for tuning in and a big thanks to George. That was uh, an amazing interview. That guy is a wealth of knowledge. You know, I, I, I joke when we... Uh, we have a chance to go out to do these conventions and things. I would say, I just, I'm so jealous of us because I get to be us, you know, it's just great because we get to meet so many interesting people and they have such interesting perspectives. And of course, you know, we get to interact with them at the convention. We were doing that. We stayed after for the cocktail party and that's, you know, where we actually got into some of the conversations. We pick out the people that we think have something really relevant to say and get a chance to put them on the air. So I love what we're able to do uh, for the audience, but I love it, especially just for me, because I just get to learn. And when you hear a guy that's got a 30-year perspective that makes his living in this space, that attends conventions, that pays attention, and has a lot of tactical knowledge as far as what's really happening, you know, when loans are getting approved, when loans are getting rejected, when investors, the people who buy the debt are saying yes or they're saying no, all of the different things that begin to affect that, and he's got that level of insight, and he can distill all of that down into a 20 or 30 or 40-minute conversation I mean, what is that worth in terms of you being able to have 
the insight and the perspective to watch what we call watching the horizon and watching what's happening and noticing the trends and putting yourself in a position. Because as we always say, the beautiful thing about real estate is whatever's happening typically is not happening so fast that if you're not completely engaged, you know, if you're if you have a regular life and you're doing other things, as long as you have regular touch points. Oh, like once a week, listen to the real estate guys, you mean? Yeah, but well, there you go. So you're going to be able to make adjustments and you're going to be able to be on the right end of whatever the move is. And I love that about the real estate industry. Anytime we get a chance to interview someone that has this kind of perspective, it's awesome, right? When we have Bob on the show, the godfather of real estate, he's been investing in seven different decades. There's a guy that has seen a lot of different markets, a lot of different situations. When it comes to lending, obviously George has seen a lot. What really impressed me about him, we had a lot of off-mic conversations. He knows the players in this industry. He knows who's really doing the business. He understands what they're doing to get business. He is is sitting in a really unique seat. And I think that is a a, a real big value add of uh, what he does. Certainly that helps him in his practice and and their day-to-day business of making hard money loans. And they've, as you heard, expanded from a fairly regional player into to now national player, uh, but it also lets him know kind of the differences of what's happening in different parts of the country, different product types, who's really uh, moving stuff and, and who's not and, and what's out there today. And that you only get that from spending a lot of time in that seat. That's not something you can learn in, in six months or a year. That's something that obviously is years and, and years of practice and obviously very respected uh, in the industry. I, I think that uh, Leonard Rosen called uh, him an icon in the uh, lending industry and in the commercial world. People know who he is and, and it's clear why that is. But I, I think, you know, the other thing is it's a fairly upbeat time to be in that business. I mean, I come away going, well, okay, so commercial lenders aren't out in droves like they were, and some of them are out of business, but there is still money out there, and there's great opportunity, not only for a borrower, but for someone who wants to be a lender or invest with a lender. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we've been talking about that for a while, and it's just so uh, gratifying when you get a chance to talk to other people that have the right to have an opinion based on their experience and their connections and so on, and they're affirming what, you know, you've already believed and begun to see. And so, you know, this whole weekend has been great for me, or this whole event has been great for me personally, just because so many of the things that, that you know, I've been noticing and feeling were trends. You know, you, you, you form your own opinions, but it's always great to go meet with other people and see if their opinions are there, too. One of the things I thought he said that just I thought was great when he was talking about outrageous profits. Right. And, you know, that's a term that a lot of people use to beat up on entrepreneurs, to beat up on capitalism. And yet he was pretty unabashed in saying, look, you've got to have big rewards for the people who brave the debris and climb into the rubble of a, a meltdown and go in and start to do the repair work in advance. And they're the, they're the leaders. They're going in because the rewards are bigger, because they have a better opportunity. And what will happen is those, those rewards, those opportunities for those big profits is what pulls people into the market to begin the healing process. And then as more people join in, as the pioneers have proven, you know, proof of concept, and they're making the money, then the next group of people come in, and that competition is what begins to bring the pricing back down to normal. It's the same thing. I mean, if you forget real estate, you know, drug companies. A drug company, I mean, we have a patent law that allows a drug company to patent a drug that they spent millions of dollars developing because they know that they're going to have a period of time where they can sell that for outrageous profits, recover not only the money they spent developing that drug, but all the money they spent trying to develop the other drugs that didn't work out. And you gotta capture all that back and then get a reward or a return on your investment that's commensurate with the risk you took, because they all might not work out. 
And then you get to operate for a little while with, with a competitive advantage that you earned because you were willing to go where someone else wasn't willing to go. But then after a while, that falls off. Competition comes in. Generics come. Pricing stabilize. The consumer gets the long-term benefit. But the, the capitalist gets the short-term benefit of that window of time where they get those outrageous profits. And he was talking about that, and I thought, you know, I'm so happy he shared that because I think there's a lot of people that attack capitalism right now when it's the very thing that will save our economy. And we have to empower people to take those risks and be happy when they make those big rewards because they earn it. Absolutely. I mean, look at what that's going to do long term. If a Harmon and Lender steps up today and, and they're able to put together these loans and that's going to create a volume of business, it's going to ultimately create more jobs. That's how the country heals. This country only heals if the individuals heal. Right. And the way they heal is by having economic contribution, whether that's through a job, whether that's as a business person, and that is what's necessary to see the turnaround happen. It's what everyone's focused on, but it has to be real opportunity. It can't be make work. It has to be, at the end of the day, somebody gets up and goes to work and makes a contribution that creates production, and a part of that profit of that production goes to the worker. I mean, it's just as clear as can be. Now, what does that mean for you and I? tremendous opportunity right now. You heard George say that there are dozens and dozens of hard money lenders who didn't make the turn. And yet there is arguably more of a demand for capital today for some of the best buys we've seen in our lifetimes, which tells me there is huge opportunity. And because it is such a fractured business, there is no one-stop shop. In spite of how great his company is and the, and the way it aggregates the lenders that come together, there is still no one-stop shop. And that creates opportunity for someone willing to put together the time and the effort to learn the business and then assemble the capital. I think this could be one of the hallmark opportunities of this decade. Absolutely. And, and the opportunity that you have is to go in and be the brainer, as he talked about. You be get the to, brainer. You get to be the guy who thinks. You know, there's a lot of people out there, for whatever reason, you know, they lost their job because the economy was real sour. They made a strategic default because it just didn't make sense to continue to pay on a mortgage when you were probably 15 years away from being break even. Whatever, for whatever reason, and you can go through all the ethical, moral, whatever, but at the end of the day, there are people out there who are unable to borrow in a conventional sense because of very strict underwriting guidelines, uh, and yet in order for the economy to move forward, people are going to have to be able to finance homes, finance projects, finance businesses. So how are those needs going to get met? Well, when, you, when you're in a cookie-cutter system where it's just about your three-digit credit score, what's your middle score? Okay, I don't care what happened. Don't tell me your story. It doesn't fit in my box. My box holds three numbers. Right. I got three digits I can put in that box, and if, it, if it's over the right number, you get the deal, and if it's not, you don't. Well, there's a whole lot of deals out there that are worth doing where that code, that score, is not going to fit that box. Those are the brainer deals. That's what I call old school. That's the uh, It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey, where he would sit down and he said, no, I know you. You're right here in my community. Yep. And, and I know what happened to you. And I understand, you know, we had a big setback and you got set back, but you're a good person and you're working hard and your business is solid today. And so I'm going to make that loan because I, I have the opportunity to deal with you as an individual. I have an opportunity to deal with this investment or this business opportunity or property as an individual one look deal where I can think about it and I can understand it. And the other thing you talked about is how important it is to go out and actually get involved. I'm gonna, I gotta go touch the property. I gotta meet the borrower. I gotta know who I'm doing business with. Well, what's great about that is once you get a dozen, a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand small lenders doing these kind of deals, helping to heal the commercial market, now as George pointed out, their banks are coming back. There's gonna be other solutions. 
there's so much opportunity here that the big companies are not going to allow the small entrepreneurs to get it all, but they're also not going to go first. So right. you've got a window of opportunity here, and uh, we just uh, see it as clear as day. Hopefully you see it. I think uh, how it all comes out to is that uh, the commercial market uh, still has uh, some bumps to get through, but there are solutions out there. If you need to borrow money, you have to get more creative. Lenders are getting more creative. On the other hand, if you want to be the lender, if you want to be the person that's going to go ahead and, uh, and assemble some capital and so forth, we can't think of a better way to do that than to uh, come and check out our syndication event, Secrets of Successful Syndication. It takes place April the 3rd in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. If you want to learn how to create a full-time income in real estate, to check it out on our website at realestateguysradio.com. Just go to events. Big thanks to uh, George for uh, giving us his time and his uh, wonderful wisdom today. Also, thanks to Leonard Rosen, uh, the host of the Pitball Conference. We're going to have him on the program here in a few weeks. You're going to enjoy that as well. Thanks to our sponsors. They help make our show possible. To our friends here at Fox Rothschild for being great hosts and to the fabulous city of Las Vegas, Nevada. We'll see you next week on the Real Estate Guys Radio program the real estate guys brought to you by paradigm life helping you unleash the power of infinite banking learn more at be the audible.com the leading provider in spoken word entertainment go to audible.com forward slash real estate guys for your choice of a free audiobook suburban residential brand new positive cash flow houses in dallas texas corporate direct asset protection strategies from attorney and rich debt advisor garrett sutton texas investor homes Discover high-yield, low-risk, double-digit cash-on-cash returns with interim construction funding. CDA Law Center, providers of professional assistance with loan modifications and the powerful REST Report, helping you level the playing field when negotiating with your lender. Find out about these and other fine sponsors under the Resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. Learn how you can sponsor the Real Estate Guys. Call 888-489-7723. 888-489-7723. That's 888-489-7723. Once again, 888-489-7723 or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys Radio Show. If you're like me and thousands of others, you know that the Real Estate Guys Radio Show is a great source for quality content about investing in real estate. But did you know that they also have a book? I just finished reading their book, Equity Happens, and I was blown away by how much I learned. If you're ready to create sustainable wealth through real estate, you need to get Equity Happens. You'll learn, just as I did, about what it takes to prosper in the real estate industry. So don't wait. Make Equity Happen to you. Order your copy today at equityhappens.com.